Cinema Jaws is sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. And we thank them for their support. You're listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location from our respective homes in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is... Rye the Movie Guy, and sitting alongside us is Phil Me and Phil. How we doing tonight, boys? Good. This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, we are talking Batman with our top five favorite Batman scenes. This is an episode I have been looking forward to all week since we, since we chose the topic, Ryan. There are not many superheroes that we could do this with because not not many have as many movies as Batman. I mean, I would go on record. It's either him or Spider-Man who have the most movies, right? Yeah, probably one, two right there. Batman and Spider-Man have the most movies. Well, why don't we throw it in the fish tank early? I'm pretty sure you're correct, but now I'm very curious. Phil has already got his first fish tank question in there. I like it, Matt. Yeah. Let's just come out swinging, Rye. Yes, it is going to be fun. And when we have a, a, a good topic like this, we went back and forth. We got to have a good guest, somebody that knows Batman, right? Hell yeah. Jeff York's going to be coming back. He is a caricature artist, bit of a writer himself, a fellow film critic. So I think this is his fourth or fifth time on the show. Can't wait to talk yeah. to Jeff again. Absolutely. Good things happening over at the Establishing Shot, Jeff York's website. So we'll be talking to Jeff. Besides that, we have more going on, don't we, Phil? Yes, we do. And just to peel back some of the curtains here, I am apparently the only one who stands this, but it's still Sandra Bullock month. And we got another fact, another clip coming at everybody. And we have a review, if you didn't guess already, of The Batman. Yes. Last week, we played Stump the Kabinsky, in which the topic was the men who have played Batman. This time, I turned things around. The trivia topic is actors and actresses who have played Batman villains is your topic. So Batman villains movie trivia. Sound good? Sounds good. And I know, A, obviously, because me and Matt uh, saw the movie together and and we shot a little YouTube video and I've seen Jeff's remarks on... uh, online that we're all fans of, of Batman. But you know when I really knew that you liked it, Matt? And I, I know the Jawheads will like this story. It was when you gave me a ride home after the movie. I Here in Chicago, it was finally a nice day, actually, on that Monday. So I was able to bike down to the screening. And Matt afterwards said, hey, can I give you a ride home? And I, I've commented on this before. Matt's just an absolutely horrible driver. Um, and, That's not and true. Be- before the Kabinskis got this new car that they have, which is a really nice new car, um, their old car, I don't even know if this thing was... It's a was, Toyota was, Corolla. It's not a really nice car. You but know? it's brand new. It still smells very new and nice, and, it, and sure. it's clean. You can't believe Matt's actually driving something so nice. And um, beforehand, it, it, you had an older car. I'm not even sure it was highway legal. I mean, this thing would only get up to about you know 38 miles an hour. And Matt would drive. He's one of these guys that... He, he's so nervous when he changes lanes, he makes everybody else in the car nervous. You just close your eyes and hope for the best. Um, 
But let me tell you, Matt, on the way home from Batman, <laughs> the Batman, you were I, driving I my, so aggressively. I've never, I don't know what on. You just gunned it down Ohio. You switched left. You didn't even look behind you. You were changing lanes. You're like, oh, I got to merge in here. I, man, who the hell is this guy? He is the Batman. Maybe he just had enough of you, man. No, I, I gotta be. I gotta be completely honest. I was. I was letting it out a little bit. I, I wanted to get that Batmobile feel. I really did, man. Well, good. Great observation, dude. Oh, I couldn't believe it because I thought, man, he's driving like a real human being here. You know, I'm not even nervous now. This is great. I do drive like a grandma. It's true, but I think that's oh, more totally. safe, not less safe. I'm telling you, you 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 go with the classic, uh, you know, two and ten p.m. Uh, position on the steering wheels, and you're always looking around it. It just makes everybody nervous in the car. At least it does me. Hmm. Well, anyway, yeah. Good anyways, story, you Ryan. Were, you, well, great observation. That's why you're a good film critic. You know, you you drove very uh, aggressively on the way home, and I I, I, I liked it, Matt. Got me I home did. in like three minutes from the theater. It was fantastic. I mean, dude. After well, we're gonna talk about it. That was inspirational. <laughs> that movie all right before we get there let's kick it off with the sandra bullock fact yes sandra bullock uh surprisingly much unlike me for how much i apparently am the only one who loves her hates getting scared in the 2018 thriller bird box we were all there when it was like number one on netflix for like that month It was no easy feat for Sandy. Uh, She told People Magazine that her and her co-star Sarah Paulson are terrified of being scared, which made filming a lot of the scenes really, really hard for the star. However, that also probably made the acting a lot better because she was legitimately scared. (laughs) I liked Bird Box. I thought she was fine in Bird Box. You know, wasn't one of the ones where I walked out of thinking, oh, I hate that block. But um, maybe it was helpful the thing that's crazy to me i don't fully trust her account of sarah paulson because sarah paulson's maybe dug (laughs) herself into a little bit of horror yeah (laughs) her whole thing she's she's a masochist you know yeah no doubt she played that nurse ratchet in in a in a show yeah all she does is horror sarah paulson jeez good stuff all right as you mentioned, Matt, our next guest has been on the show, I, we believe, three prior times, making his fourth appearance. He is the writer and founder of The Establishing Shot, Jeff York. Welcome back to Cinema Jaw. Great to be here, gentlemen. Thank you so much for having me. And I think it is my fourth time, so I feel very honored. How's, how's it going, Jeff? How you been, man? You know, it's been good. It's been a crazy couple of years, obviously, with uh, lockdown. I haven't seen as much of you guys uh, because of the fact that we haven't had as many screenings, but doing okay. Uh, kind of getting used to seeing movies wherever I can, uh, a lot of times VOD instead. But uh, it was wonderful to see the Batman with you guys in, on the big screen and to be able to sort of start to get back into the norm. And this is is part of it. Uh, being a guest uh, again here feels like home. Nice. Yeah. Well, well, right before the screening of the Batman, there's that little bit of downtime and you were just treating us to Batman trivia. And I'm not talking about Batman, the movies. We went back to Batman, the television show with Adam West. Is that where you first discovered Batman and, and became a fan? 
Uh, it, it was. I mean, it was on in reruns when I was a kid. I didn't get to really see it during the original run, um, but it was a big deal. And for me, I knew that it was funny, but I didn't realize how much it was a satire on superheroes until I started reading comic books, probably in junior high and high school. But as a kid, I thought it was funny, but I thought Batman was still cool. But I didn't realize until I was uh, a little bit older and able to appreciate satire, just how much they were sort of you know pimping the entire uh, genre and and having fun with it batman was such a square and uh, all of the cockeyed angles and oof and you know sound effects pow, and some of those kind yeah. of things pow and stuff were really just riffing and making fun of the whole over-the-top genre but um but yeah batman was was I, and i'm sure most kids were like that they probably thought yeah he's cool i'm gonna be like batman but as you get older you realize oh my god it's just this just rip roaring satire on the whole thing and then of course you know batman got much more serious with tim burton and the animated series and, and everything else uh from there a little bit of a you know misstep or two with um the 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 val kilmer george clooney years mostly because of joel schumacher's uh need to make it all sort of crazy and silly and the studio wanted to be back to the camp yeah yeah back to the camp so we had the bat nipples on the costumes and all those puns in the mouth of arnold schwarzenegger which one was more painful than the next but uh yeah so going way back and then i became a big fan of the comic books and the many variations of it and of course the dark knight and hush and the long halloween and things like that and as well as the movie so yeah i'm, I'm a pretty big batman fan i'm not sure that dc has always done the best job in bringing him to the screen but um We'll talk a little bit more about yeah. that, but it is, it, it's an interesting chronicle starting with the 66 series all the way to where we are today now with the, the Batman, which is. I, I have a question that you, you just mentioned, Hush. Yeah. Did, did you, I, I know it's a, a graphic novel, but did you watch the animated movie that is out? I believe it's on HBO Max. Is that worth checking out? It is. In fact, I'll tell you the great secret of Batman. I'm just going to share with the audience here before that is if you want to see the truly best, I think, interpretations of it that you can't really argue with because they're so close to the core of the comics, which is, of course, ground zero for it. It would be the uh, the animated Batman, the animated series, and then the subsequent Warner Brothers animation division uh, sort of mini movies that have most often been released right to VOD that have done a very good job. They've done all kinds of uh, adaptations there. And, and, you know, they're a little bit watered down in the sense that they have to be PG because they want kids to watch them. So they're not quite as R-rated and tough as some of the graph novels have been, but they're, they really get the spirit of it and they're very faithful to the comic book. So yeah, if you can check out any of those, uh, they're really good, uh, worth, worth watching because they do a great job. There's even one called Gotham by Gaslight, which has Batman in the 1800s chasing after Jack the Ripper, which is really well done. They managed to somehow be very loyal to the idea of what Jack the Ripper was all about, as well as Batman, even though it's, you know, adjusted for that time period. He, he uh, Batman's a character. I mean, obviously he started in the forties, so, you know, he seems to fit into any time period, but, but the Jack the Ripper setting is, it's like perfect for him. It is. And awesome. it, it was a, an opportunity to sort of bring out some of his detective uh, sort of mm -hmm. inclinations, which a lot of times, as we'll talk about, they have not done in the movies. But that was one of the ways the original cops uh, sort of def d were able to figure out who Jack the Ripper was. And same with Batman. He uses a lot of his detective skills to figure out who it was he the is Joker, and, and right? To him. Uh, I won't tell you. Right. you I'm just kidding. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't actually spoil it. I was joking. Right. Okay, now, 
Jeff, uh, uh, for the jawheads out there that might not know this, he drew the caricatures of us that we use in our animation sometimes on our YouTube videos and in Instagram little shorts. And you did a wonderful drawing of the Batman cast uh, that I saw on your Instagram. So let's plug that Instagram. And is that caricature for sale? If someone sees that uh, after listening to this podcast, can they contact you and, and buy these prints? Yeah, it is. They can get prints of it if they want an original caricature of a favorite movie, TV show, a girlfriend or a husband or a family member, uh, family pet. I'm open for all kinds of commission drawings. But uh, yeah, if they if they see any of the characters that I've drawn that have accompanied my movie reviews, if they are not already been sold or given to people as gifts, they are available and prices are negotiable. So just contact me and we can go from there. Yeah. And we should also mention your 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 uh, artwork has appeared in some pretty prestigious publications over the years. Like it has Playboy magazine, The Atlantic. Am I not? Yeah, I've been in Esquire and um, Automobile magazine. I did all of their columnists for a couple of years. Uh, lots of different. I was a regular contributor to, to W magazine for five years. I drew for the Tribune for three or four years. So, yeah, quite a few uh, here and there. And I still do some stuff for things like online magazines and stuff like that as well. So, uh, and I'm in celebrity homes. Um, I've had some guests who've seen my drawings of them as celebrities ask for them or purchase them. So that's always nice. Three of my pieces are, uh, uh, belong to Spike Lee and he contacted me directly on Instagram to ask for the black Klansman caricature I did when that movie was out. So yeah, it's a nice little side thing and gives my movie reviews. I think a little something extra for people to, take note of when they read it and then they can see my interpretation of the movie through those characters, as well as my words on describing it. it Absolutely. Does. It's cool. Uh, Jeff, we, we want to end this uh, interview here with a Sandra Bullock question, since we're celebrating Sandy this month, putting you on the spot here. If you had to pick one Sandra Bullock movie that you say is her best, where do you throw that dart? I think it's an easy choice for me. It's gravity. I think it was a terrific movie. Uh, it was almost a solo vehicle for her and she was really terrific in it. And I think she held the, the interest in the, and the, the camera the whole time. Uh, she was very, uh, a character that we were very empathetical to. It felt like we were stuck in that capsule and, and out in space with her. And I thought she ran the gamut of emotions from, you know, terrified, being terrified to, finding courage to, you know, trying to, you know, talk herself into being brave and, and figure out what she's doing. So it would definitely be gravity. I think if she had not won the Oscar earlier by a few years for the the blind side, she would have probably won that one considering Kate Blanchett had already won as well. But I grant you Kate Blanchett was a formidable competitor and when she went for Blue Jasmine, but that would definitely be, I think, uh, Bullock's greatest performance and certainly my favorite. Good no pick. arguments. Yeah, no, no argument. That's where I would go also. So, uh, Jeff, for the listeners that want to read your reviews online, where should we send them to check out your movie reviews? Okay. Uh, go to the establishing shot.org. Uh, it is a wonderful website that was, Oh, that's right. Designed by Matt Kay himself. And, uh, it looks terrific. People always compliment the, the look of it. And, uh, I appreciate all the great work that he did putting that together. Uh, I also have a website for caricatures. If they want to contact me directly there for commissioner, uh, purchase that is Jeff, your Uh, and you can also find me on Instagram. I am Jeff York, uh, Chicago there, as well as Jeff York caricatures there. 
uh, one sort of handles the movie stuff, the other handles just the art. But uh, yeah, theestablishingshot.org, uh, now in its 11th year. Wow. And as always, Jawheads, I will put all the links in the show notes. And that Batman caricature, if it's cool by you, Jeff. You betcha. All right, sweet. Everybody can check that out. Speaking of Batman, the Batman. Matt Reeves directs the latest Cape Crusader movie entitled The Batman, featuring Catwoman, Penguin, the Riddler, and a slew of supporting characters from Commissioner Gordon to Carmine Falcone. Is this Bat movie as overstuffed as Oswald Cobblepot, or is the rather lengthy three-hour runtime worth a share of Wayne family's fortune? Ryan, Jeff, and I headed back to Gotham City to find out. Fear is a tool. But when that light hits the sky, it's not just a call. It's a warning. before you've nothing left. I don't care what happens to me. It's only gonna get worse for you. The Batman wastes no time enveloping us in the city of Gotham and its crime-ridden inhabitants. The film opens with a voiceover from the titular character, reminiscent of Rorschach's journal at the beginning of The Watchmen, in lieu of retreading the overdone Batman origin story. This introduction is enough and serves to set the tone of just what sort of Batman we will be dealing with here. This Batman will be dark, ruthlessly violent in his crime fighting, as well as arguably the most intelligent Batman we've seen on the screen. And it's a good thing, too, because deranged serial killer known as the Riddler is on the loose, leaving notes to the Batman at each crime scene that push his bat brains into overdrive. Though there's a lot of detective work, the film is no slouch in the action department, providing some bone-crunching fisticuffs, as well as one of the best car chases I've witnessed in a very long time. Jeffrey Wright as Jim Gordon and Zoe Kravitz as Selena Catwoman Kyle are both standouts in the cast. And while the parts are much smaller, Colin Farrell as the Penguin and John Tuturo as Carmine Falcone turn in appropriately slimy performances as well. Ranking the Batman is subjective, but no one can argue that Robert Pattinson is at the bottom of the heap. As the Bat, he is an intimidating figure, and as Bruce Wayne, he is a damaged and moody recluse. I could go on and on, but guys, I'd rather open this up. Rye, what did you think of the Batman? Yeah, I mean, we heard that Matt Reeves was going to give us a Batman we had not seen on the big screen, and I would say he delivered. It's dark, it's moody. Uh, the atmosphere he created on the streets of Gotham was gritty, and I loved it all. I was a huge fan of this one. I have no complaints at all with the cast, as you mentioned, Matt. In fact, the whole ensemble I thought was uh, fantastic, and I, I would actually go on record as saying this is the best all-around cast in a Batman film to date. I thought Pattinson was great. He completely pulled it off. But the real standouts, as you mentioned, I, I loved Zoe Kravitz and, and huge fan of Colin Farrell as well. Jeffrey Wright as 
Commissioner Gordon. How great was that? He was awesome. Uh, and Paul Dano, wonderful. Um, it's a tough call to say this is a superhero film because it's it's more of a detective story first and foremost. And it's also difficult to even compare it to the other Batman films because it's so different in tone. It's it's up there for me. If I had to you know, say where this ranks in, in the Batman, I would put this near the top. I saw this online. Someone said, this is the best David Fincher film David Fincher didn't direct. And I could not agree more. I thought that was a great line. I'm a huge fan of this one, Jeff. I agree with both of you. I'm a huge fan of it too. In fact, for decades of Batman lore, the Cape Crusader was described as half ninja, half Sherlock Holmes. I would argue that outside of the animated series that uh, was done so well by Warner Brothers starting in the early 90s and continues through their animation department with the movies, that most of the Batman films have forgotten about the detective part. Where is the Sherlock Holmes in this? He's a great fighter. He's tough and, and you know growls every line and goes around, but he doesn't actually solve much in using his little gray cells. In this one, he does. As you said, Ryan, this is a detective story. It just happens to have superhero uh, with a disguise on playing the cop in it. Um, in fact, it's almost like Holmes and Watson when he's going into crime scenes as the guest of Jim Gordon to assess the the uh, scenes and try to figure out what's going on and, and um, sort of put the clues all together. And that continues throughout here. Even his relationship with Selena is them both trying to figure out sort of where the crime family fits into it, what's the Riddler's end game, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that the Riddler is treated very much almost like the Zodiac killer from the 70s uh, with his ciphers and his puzzles and what is it all leading to makes this into really a wonderful procedural, one that we really haven't seen on the big screen as, as many good attempts and some mixed attempts there have been uh, to put to put Batman on the, on the big screen. I think this one delivers that. It's a terrific detective story, and it's also a very grounded and different kind of superhero movie. So I agree with you on all that. I love the fact, too, that Batman's confident here. He's not dealing with, am I Batman? Am I Bruce? It's like, look, he's kind of the same person here. You know, he just is a little bit more vicious, maybe, as uh, the Cape Crusader. But he's moody. He's um, soulful. He cares. His whole mission here is to fix this shithole of a city that is very David Fincher-esque. It's like something out of seven. It's raining all the time. It's like God is mourning this. <laughs> it, rains, it rains every day in Gotham. I, yeah. I figured that out. And it's always God, night. Yeah. Yes. God can do nothing but cry for how terrible this city is and all the corruption. Um, and I love the fact that it isn't this angsty, who am I, Jekyll and Hyde story. Uh, Batman is in year two. He knows who he is. He knows what he wants to do. And even, you know, to that point, wasn't it fresh and interesting to know that in the fight sequences, they, they don't go on very long. It's almost like Batman has to go through that to get back to being a detective. You know, like when he goes into uh, the club, he has to dispatch of how many thugs that come at him, but it doesn't go on for 10 minutes. It's really swift and fast because he wants to get to talk to uh, Oswald, uh, the, the Penguin character, and find out what he needs to find out. So even on those levels, I think this film keeps the detective story, the mystery at the the core of it at all times. And I, I found, found that to be very fresh, even yeah. though this is what the ninth or 10th movie now. So so let's start with the two major relationships in the movie uh, Batman has. He, he's got a great relationship with Commissioner Gordon, uh, played by Jeffrey Wright, and he's got a great 
relationship uh, with Catwoman. I mean, these are, are two fantastic ones. And with Commissioner Gordon, I really like how he would be at the crime scene. All the other cops despise that he was there. They'd always be like, what is he doing here? And, and Commissioner Gordon is the only one that's really backing Batman as as really working with this guy. I love that relationship. I think that's probably the my favorite Batman Commissioner Gordon relationship I've seen so far. Matt? Oh, oh, I totally agree. It kind of makes me it, it it makes me wonder how did those two connect, you know? And I really appreciate that the story doesn't bog us down with with Batman's origin, but I would have liked to or maybe in the future we can find out how those two became such trusted allies because there is just not an ounce of doubt between the two. And with, oddly enough, because at one point it's almost, you know, like Batman could have been a suspect in these crimes, you know? So I, I loved the relationship there. Jeffrey Wright just is perfect as Gordon. He really is. I love Absolutely. that guy. And then his relationship with uh, Zoe Kravitz, who plays Catwoman. I, I remember thinking, wow, Michelle Pfeiffer is the best Catwoman. It'll never be topped. And then I really liked Anne Hathaway. But now I am here to tell you on Cinema Jaw, making a bold statement, Zoe Kravitz is the best Catwoman of all time. Zoe Kravitz was great. But no, I'm not going to say she's the best Catwoman of all time, Ryan. That's, that's just a little too far. I just made the statement. I made it. It's, well, it's, I'm here I to made the statement and I'm correct. I, I'm here to refute your statement. I say it is incorrect, sir. You're wrong. Who, who would you go with? Michelle Pfeiffer is the best Catwoman oh. of all time. Uh, you just you just got nostalgia eyes right there, Matt. No, Zoe I don't have nostalgia eyes. I could give you like 10 reasons why she's the best Catwoman of all time. Well, how about this? I'll give you four good reasons in a damn good cinema war. All right, fine. It's on, buddy. Cinema right. war. Cinema war is going down. Jeff, you'll judge this one? I will. All right. But the relationship, let's just talk about it, between Batman and Catwoman, it, it, it's great because there's this sexy element to the whole thing, but she can carry her own. She actually goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with Batman, and it completely is believable. Little Zoe Kravitz, who's five foot two completely owns the screen with with a very confident performance. Jeff, did you like this this Zoe uh, Kravitz performance? I did. I thought she was terrific in it. Uh, she's also very good in that movie Kimmy that just premiered last week. Uh, another thriller that um, she's starring in that Steven Soderbergh directed. Uh, she's really good. And I think one of the things that helps her character here is she isn't um, you know, sort of a super villain or a super victim. She is a woman who is also on a mission of vengeance the way Bruce Wayne is. And she's trying to, you know, figure out the corruption that ended her mother's life and, and sort of put her in the situation that she's in. And that allows her to be less of a slinky cat woman and more of just a good solid character. Uh, and she helps Batman a lot, too. I mean, in some respects, this Sherlock Holmes that he's kind of become in this movie has two Watsons in it. He has not only Jim Gordon, who brings him into the crime scene is, and, and sort of uses him the same way that, uh, like, they, you know, the, the Sherlock Holmes character is brought into the scenes in the stories and in even the, the BBC series of Sherlock. But she also is helping him as kind of his partner as well. Uh, a little bit of almost like Robin in a way where she's working with him and together they become sort of a dynamic duo, sort of working undercover unofficially as vigilantes and uh, sort of crime stoppers. Yeah, but I like that they don't totally jettison the the moral uh, ambiguity of the character because she does, right. she is a thief 
she does take a score at one point in the movie yeah. and, and, and Batman does scold her from time to time, which, which is good. I don't want a hero Catwoman. That was my main problem with the Hathaway Catwoman. Yeah. I want, I want an ambiguous Catwoman. So we're all talking about Robert Pattinson and how well he did is Batman. But I would say this is the least amount of time that the Bruce Wayne character had on screen in a Batman movie. I looked at my watch when he finally came on. I think the first time we see Pattinson, not in the mask, is about 40 to 45 minutes into the movie. And pretty much he's in the mask and Batman, I would say, 90% of the time. Good. It's called the Batman. It's not called the Bruce Wayne. Right. But I'm saying when you go back and you watch the other movies, there's always a lot of Bruce Wayne also in there, especially in the Christian Bale ones. He's Christian Bale, Bruce Wayne, 50, maybe 60% of the time, I would say this was 80% Batman, 20% Bruce Wayne. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this isn't a character, this this take on Batman is not a character who is Bruce Wayne first, Batman second. He's Batman, who and, and he puts on the mask of Bruce Wayne when he needs to. He It's not the other way around, which is, I don't know, I preferred it, I think. I liked it a lot as well. How about the Riddler? little bit on Paul Dano. I thought the performance was great. And the way they showcased him in that FaceTime video where it was a uh, close up on his eyeball. Yeah. Everything about it was very unsettling with, with the Riddler. One of my favorite villains so far. You agree, Jeff? I do. In fact, I think the Riddler is actually the character that almost all of the series other than the animated one has gotten wrong. Uh, most of the time um, he's been kind of a cackling fool. Now, Frank Gorshin uh, was terrific in the original 66 TV series. And, you know, Jim Carrey did sort of his crazy homage to him, but the Riddler is supposed to be very smart and he's supposed to be a gamester and he's challenging Batman. He has to be a really sharp mind. And this is the first real big uh, attempt at doing that without turning him into sort of this crazy character that's a little bit too much like Joker in, in those other comparisons. Um, I love the fact, too, that, like I said, he was sort of like the Zodiac, where he's kept a mystery. We don't even see Paul Dano's face until the last, what, half hour, 35 minutes of the film, because he's a mystery. They don't know who he is. They are not quite sure what he is. But he's terrifying behind that mask. Uh, it's a lot of people wearing masks in this, uh, not only meta uh, uh, metaphorical, but f- literally uh, physical, like he and Catwoman when she goes out with the the knit sort of uh, Me Too pussycat cap, uh, uh, which creates its own puckered ears, which is a nice homage <laughs> to that, uh, as well as, of course, Batman. But um, yeah, I thought the Riddler was terrifying here. And he was a very formidable villain and uh, a very unique interpretation of a character that we've seen portrayed foolishly before. But this one, boy, they swung 180 degrees in the other direction, I think succeeded spectacularly. I, I have a question for you guys. Here's, here's what I'm curious about. And then I also have a, a slight criticism of the movie. But my question is this. This is getting a lot of praise from us fanboys and even film critics who m- might normally not like a superhero movie. This one is, is, is seeming to land well. But does this find a general audience? Does this movie become a big hit or is it going to be disappointing? Well, I would say it's not going to do Spider-Man numbers. And that was the last superhero film released. I, no, no movie was going to do that anyways. Um, that, that was quite special. But I, I, don't know, I don't know if it's 
geared towards that. I don't even think they're trying to market it to be the absolute biggest movie. I think they know what this is. This is an adult-oriented superhero film. This They gave away 3D Batmobile puzzles at the screening, Ryan. They are trying to make this a hit. Okay, but but we snuck your son into the, the screening. He was there, and, and he's how old now? 14? 14. But I would literally say 12 and under wouldn't oh, really yeah. like the movie. I, I don't. Agree. I mean, I think they would be somewhat bored by it. Be, be, or you know, scared. Or scared. So I, I don't think it's going for that general audience that so many of these uh, superhero movies do. They know they're going for the adult crowd. And I think if this thing does even, say, 200 million it, it, it would be a huge success for, for Warner Brothers. I, well, I mean, just, just going by the numbers, I think you're way off there, but I, I hear I, what I, you're saying. I, when I'm saying 200 million, I mean total at the U.S. box office. If it does 200 million, it'll, I mean, this weekend it'll do, you know, 150. So. Well, we'll see. All right, here's, here's my slight criticism. Is in a film like Zodiac or even like, uh, I, I'm, you know, I hate to evoke... Um, What's what's the Tom Hanks mystery movie where he's going through the art world? Da Vinci, da Vinci Code. Code. Thank yeah. you, Dan Brown novel. Yeah, Da Vinci Code. You, or Indiana Jones, like puzzles and clues fall into place and like lead back to each other like a thing. There's a little bit of that, but I think I wanted just a little bit more. This is a minor complaint. I love the Batman, but he, he gets through the puzzles a little too easy. It's like, let's just get through the puzzle so we can see Batman fight again. And it would have been cooler to see them really crack the codes and and have callbacks to it and stuff like that. Minor complaint. Again, I think I wanted just a bit more of the riddles. Actually, I think that's a good point, Matt. I think, you know, Batman is, again, half Sherlock Holmes, so he's going to see things quicker and faster than the average detective or maybe the average film goer. But you're right. Uh, and, and we kind of know where those clues are going. I think most people kind of knew where this is headed. It, it's all going to come into the crime family and the city hall people, et cetera, et cetera. And surprise, surprise, we're not that taken aback by, oh, wow, uh, wink, wink, look who's actually involved in all this in a way. Uh, that's, that's a little bit um, uh, obvious, I think, after a certain point. But the fact is, there wasn't really much of a mystery in most of the other Batman movies. It was just like, okay, there's this crazy person out there. I've got to get him and stop him. So I do appreciate the fact that Batman was thinking at all and sort of solving any puzzles True. if they were faster. But you're right. They could have, uh, like, again, I don't want to make too much of the animated series, but there's a couple Riddler episodes there where it's a little complicated, and, and especially for children, of course. But, you know, they have Batman thinking it through like having to explain well you know it does this so that means it does this oh that's why it's this you know uh where here batman just kind of instantly says um you know what happens when a liar uh falls down dead he still lies i mean that's a great yeah. line and he it's a great still. conclusion he lies yeah. still right uh but um he adam wested he, it he adam yeah, wested but, it yeah yeah but it, it's very fast but in the in the animated series they had maybe for the kids him talking it out thinking it out loud the way i think uh would help an audience see the difficulty of it maybe appreciate the puzzle more there could have been more of that in this i agree yeah. but i'm glad there was any of it at all because yeah. I, I was i was True. like a minute late on uh, he lies still if, if, like it was going on for a while and then it was like clicking in my head i'm like oh he lies still i had to like keep repeating it in my head like exactly what it meant he's yeah got it now 
little slow, man. Yeah, well, slow, hey, you're fun. you're no candidate for the next Batman, Ryan. Hey, one thing we got to mention is the score of the film. They use the Nirvana song, Something in the Way. And perfect. Matt actually uh, said after the screening, we were walking out that they just basically use the the score, take that song anyways, the melody, and, yeah. and more or less make the melody of the Batman theme. And they, they kind of did, but the score is absolutely fantastic. It, it really drives that moody, gritty atmosphere um, and, and fits this particular style of Batman to a T. I loved it. The score is fantastic. Mind, yeah, I have to say, I think the two sort of best supporting performers in here beyond maybe Jeffrey Wright and, and Paul Dano is uh, both the production design, which to me makes that city so icky and, and corrupt and crowded and dilapidated it it really is terrific and i think that score drives so much of the tension michael giacchino who has done um, many scores before from up to the incredibles and stuff it's kind of this unrelenting song and and uh you know this kind of baseline that keeps it going which you know you don't uh that's that's probably to be expected in a film like this but he uh, it keeps it going and it, it becomes sort of the presence of Batman in a lot of way, even like with the Batman's boots always sort of coming into the scene clunk, and yeah, being very clunk. deliberate and clunking. Uh, the, the score does the same thing. And sometimes it brings in uh, these sort of bells and, and is this sort of percussive clanging. And sometimes it's very heroic sounding with almost like a sort of church bells kind of thing, like a, a reckoning of some higher portion. And other times it's very nasty. It's actually sounds like it's an anvil being uh, hit in sort mm. of the same base way. So uh, again, I think both the production design and the score really contribute to this, this tension and this uh, this visceral feel that this movie has and, and they become characters as much as uh, the the mobsters and the corrupt city officials. Absolutely. The For film sure. was not uh, completely shot here in Chicago, but there were some scenes in Chicago, um, most notably the L scene where Batman comes out and fights the uh, gangsters in the, in the very beginning, our the introduction to Batman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that was a great scene. And it was as, as a Chicagoan who's taken the L many a times, it's very much like, Oh, I've been around these parts. I know where they're at here. That so. stop was not too far from the theater we watched the movie at, as a matter of fact. <laughs> no, you're right. Right down in the loop. Yep. And those are some scary places at night. So <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. It's not too far from that. <laughs> no doubt. Um, all right, let's have some fun here. Our jaw-dropping moment, a.k.a. A, a favorite moment in the movie. Uh, we'll start with Matt. We'll, we'll let you have first go at it, Matt. My jaw-dropping moment is the arrest. And I don't want to give too much of this away because this is not in the trailer. Um, I will just say that it happens right after you see the, the cappuccino with the question mark or actually right before that. I, I don't want to necessarily say what characters are involved, but there's an expression that is made when a character is being arrested. Uh, their head is forced onto the counter of this this uh, diner. And just the the acting moment that we get to witness there, it was just movie magic. I really, really loved it. It was just chewing up the scenery. Well, I'll go next here, and I'm glad we haven't even brought this scene up. And I had it down as something I wanted to bring up prior, and it is the Batmobile yeah, chase I'm, scene. I was, I'm glad you said this. You mentioned it in your review, the chase scene. It's, it's what made Matt drive aggressively on the way home. Um, 
<laughs> but let me tell you, I, I, I have this thing a lot of times when I'm, I'm really like overjoyed by something, I, I just start to like giggle. That That's my thing. And when the, the Batmobile fired up from the shadows all the way through the chase scene and finally uh, culminating in that wonderful shot of Batman upside down, walking towards the penguin with the, with the flames behind him, that solid, you know, five to seven minutes of, of the movie, I was giggling out loud because it was just absolutely awesome. The entire sequence was incredible. That was jaw dropping. Great Batmobile, by the way. Oh, it's, awesome. It, it's a really cool car. I mean, it's definitely better than the Christian Bale Batmobile because I don't care what you say that, that I just was never behind the tumbler at mm. all. It's weird looking. I don't get it. Jeff, your favorite scene in the Batman? Well, I'm going to say it's actually both of the ones that you described. I love the reveal of uh, in the diner scene and how plain and sort of normal the person looks who they're arresting uh, after all of this terror and buildup. And, you know, sometimes uh, the face of evil can be almost banal. Or, or the person who is doing evil is, is not necessarily a mustachioed villain or somebody who's filled with Bond movie scars like they always seem to make their villains like, I'm doing this because I have a lazy eye and a large scar that goes through my face. Uh, they, <laughs> after Dr. Evil did that, they should have never do it again, but they did it in no time to die. Um, and I also have to say, I love the car chase scene. And what I loved about it, you mentioned it earlier, all of the French connection, it shows how intrepid the detective in the car is in Batman. Uh, he's putting a lot of other cars at risk as well, but it also is a car chase where when you crash into something or you get sideswiped, it screws up your car. You know, I mean, he's getting smashed on left and right, as is uh, uh, the Penguin's car. And they're both worse for the wear at the end of it. In fact, later on, they show the Batmobile up on sort of the repair <laughs> situation in the cave where, uh, you know, so it's, it's a grounded kind of chasing. It seemed very realistic. In fact, it was, uh, I kept thinking, I don't think anybody's going to die here. But uh, <laughs> it, it certainly give it, it gives it this feeling like they could because it's not just, oh, you know, there's never any pedestrians around or there's never any other cars on the road when some of these chasings have gone on in previous movies were here just weaving in and out of it it was almost like uh you know to live and die in la where william peterson is going crazy against traffic there were things like that yeah. as well that they referenced which made it all the more palpable one more highlight uh you guys had to be fans of the scene i love the cinematography when batman is going down that dark hallway and he takes on these uh, henchmen that all have machine guns and it's basically like a dark hallway and you really can't see except when they're firing the machine guns and he's taking them all down one on one and the, the score more or less goes and the action it's got to the beat of almost the machine guns that they're firing. That was another great sequence. It was kind of a John Wick moment, wasn't it? And it's all in it one. Was. It's all in one shot, basically. And and it, it almost was like they were gnats that were sort of or flies that were irritating Batman. <laughs> yes. Like you know, they were just you know ricocheting off of his very strong armor. But he was like, "You sons of bitches! I've got to get through this to talk to somebody, and I just <laughs> have to throw you down and break your arms so you can get out of my way." Shooting them away like flies. Yep, Matt, you got a movie poster quote for us? The bat is back. Simple to the point. I went with the Batman sparkles with grittiness in one of the best superhero films I've seen in years. All right. Listen, I'll let you have the sparkle thing, but I think 
you got to retire it after this quote. No more sparkles when we're talking about Pattinson. Hey, it works on this one. It works. All right. We're on a forge jaw scale here, guys. We start with Matt K. This it's controversy lately. When we go to the jaws, let's see what Matt gives us. I'm going four full jaws for the Batman Four jaws. Jeff. I would give it three and a half. Um, I think it could be uh, trimmed a bit. And some of it is familiar because we've just seen so much of Batman. It isn't as um, uh, wholly surprising as as it uh, might have been if it was original material. But I have to say, I think it's a terrific film. And my guess is as I see it again, I will like it more. But right now, I would criticize it just a little bit and keep it just from getting that four stars. I'm going or with four the, jaws. Yeah, I'm going with the four jaws. I'm joining Matt with a, a, a four right. jaw review of the Batman. But I do agree, probably could have been trimmed down a little bit. It was quite long, um, but I enjoyed all of it through. But it probably could have been trimmed, you know, 15, 20 minutes pretty I, easily. I, I could have sat there for another 15, 20 minutes, and I can't wait to see it again. Hey, I'm giving it four jaws. I am going to see it one more time in the theater, and I don't do that a lot unless I really like a movie. So I'll, I'll get out there and see the Batman one more time. Four jaws for Matt K four jaws from Ryan, the movie guy and three and a half jaws for Jeff York on the Batman. You guys have probably seen the movie. What do you think of this review? What do you think of the movie? Write us feedback at cinemajaw.com. Or if you have Twitter pulled up, you can shoot us a tweet. We are at cinemajaw because of the big movie. It got us thinking about all the great Batman films we've seen, especially the Schumachers. And <laughs> what would be our top five favorite scenes in these Batman movies? Jeff, I hope this wasn't too hard of a list for you to come up with. What do you got sitting at number five, my friend? Okay, at number five, I am going to uh, do something that's a little bit different, but I think it actually is a perfect place to start because I think it grounds this conversation. My number five scene from Batman is actually the teaser trailer that came out in 1989. Uh, It was a 45-second teaser trailer uh, of Tim Burton's Batman that was done to convince audiences that comic actor Michael Keaton was going to be just fine playing the Cape Crusader. There was a lot of worry about Mr. Mom taking on this different uh, darker role and it basically appeared in in theaters with little fanfare there's no musical score underneath it it was just this dramatic trailer with quick little bits of it and people started going to the movies just to see that trailer and ultimately when keaton whispers at the end i'm batman everyone in the world believed it and they stopped thinking oh do i have to worry about this because he's mr mom no you do not (laughs) <laughs> nice well I'll, I'll go next how's that sound matt and we'll we'll, we'll swing it this way this time um okay. because my my number five actually is is very similar to jeff's i i started watching a lot of these scenes that i i haven't seen these movies a lot of the the you know michael keaton ones in in a while and so i was watching scenes for the last few hours before we started uh recording here and i went back to the first time we actually see michael keaton in the original tim burton batman when uh, there's two, you know, thugs out on the streets of Gotham. They rob a family and they're they're counting the money. And that's when Michael Keaton comes as the Batman. He sort of looms in the shadows a little that's bit. That's the same he, scene he's talking about, man. Yeah, but but it is in the movie, right? It, it right, is. Right, right. Yep. Yeah. But but was that just the trailer? Was 
just this entire scene or no, Jeff? What are you? No. I'm no. Batman. Yeah. No, no the, but I'm talking about the, the scene. He was talking about the trailer, which was a little bit different. Yeah, the trailer was little bits. You got a little sense of um, right. uh, Jack Nicholson as the Joker. You saw a little bit of Kim Basinger. Right, um, right. Matt know, doesn't know what exactly what he's talking about. No, that, I, I thought I'm that was just about a, the scene. They took that scene and made it a teaser. Did they no, not? No, see, they didn't. No. It's, it's little bits. It's literally like mm. little five seconds, uh, probably 10, five second little scenes just to give you a sense of it. You get a, a scene with Jack Palance where he's talking to Jack, I want you to do something for me. And Nicholson goes, me? So, and then you see him that, and then at the end he's like, you can call me Joker. Uh, uh, so it, it's, you know, giving you this sense of tension and seriousness. But again, it was mostly to convey that that Keaton was being very serious in it. It does end with the, uh, I believe, the, the I'm Batman The, the line, I'm Batman, the line. yeah. But to Ryan's point, that's the big introduction scene in the movie where, right. you know, you've heard about Batman, you see him in the shadows, and then Suddenly he's threatening this thug and he asks, who are right. you, man? Yeah. So, so having just watched it, it, it takes a little while. That's why I knew we weren't talking about the same thing. I, mine scenes about five minutes long of actually him. Right. He's, he's actually following them from the rooftops. He sees them mur uh, mug the people and then he eventually uh, confronts them. They turn and they shoot him and, and he just drops dead. What it looks like is, oh, my God, that was the fast Batman movie. Short movie. But, but of course, <laughs> he get he gets back up and he whips open his his cape slash wings and he looks like um the villain from uh oh man the one that uh oh man it's on the tip of my tongue the one that uh Jawbox. Well, Angelina like Jolie played the Disney uh oh oh oh, oh Maleficent. Maleficent. Yes. Yeah it looks like Maleficent when he opens up his cape and uh he comes after the two and they're like what are you and he he finally ends that scene with I'm Batman that was my number five scene, the introduction to Batman in the Batman. Boy, you guys both went Keaton for your number fives. I am going with Batfleck and uh, probably one of the worst Batman movies, arguably one of the worst. It's no Joel Schumacher debacle, but I mean, there's no bat nipples involved, but nobody really loved Batman versus Superman, nor did I. But I really did. I really smiled the whole time Batman and Superman were fighting. And you cannot, cannot deny. You can't sit here as a fanboy and deny that when he was in the bat armor and Superman came to confront him and he said, tell me, do you bleed? You weren't like, hell yeah, Batman's about to kick Superman's ass. And that's all I came there to see was that. And, and boy, oh boy, they... They delivered right up until the whole Martha thing. That scene was fantastic. Batman fighting Superman. Pure bliss. Okay, just pure bliss. Because I've always been that guy at parties that says, oh, yeah, Batman could kick Superman's ass. And then people are like, that's just stupid. It's not stupid. He's Batman. Okay. And now we know. More, more like people at the party are like, there's some dork talking about Superman and Batman over there. <laughs> yeah, that's why I don't get invited to many parties. So. Don't drive home with him. He drives like an old lady. Is it crazy? Oh, man. Oh, there, there's people talking politics over there, and then you got mad over there. I'm telling you, Batman could beat up Superman. <laughs> hey, I'm pretty sure they talked about this on Seinfeld, so I'm in good company. <laughs> I love it. All right. Those were our number fives into our fours. We go. What do you got, Jeff? All right. I'm going to go comedically here for a moment to give this crazy uh, movie that was done in 66 based on the TV series uh, a little bit of its due. It was uh, made quickly filmed to capitalize on the phenomenon that was the 66 series. And um, 
Like I said before, it was a very funny spoof, but during the final battle scene aboard Yaz Penguin submarine, Catwoman trips and her mask falls off, revealing herself to be Russian attache Miss Kitka, whom Bruce Wayne had been romancing for most of the film. <gasps> now, what makes it so great? Spoiler is, alert. <laughs> well, sorry. Yeah. What makes it so great is his shock registers with this long take to the camera that goes on. I kid you not. I counted it today on YouTube for an unedited full 15 seconds, just staring <laughs> dumbfounded straight at the camera. Like, I can't believe it. It was hilarious. And again, keeping in with all of the entire uh, show's spoof of superheroes, it was one of those crazy moments where it was so self-conscious, it became ridiculous. Love it. I've never seen that uh, movie. I might, I might have to watch this, Jeff, okay. just, for, just for the long take. Um, my number four is, is my oddball pick uh, as well, and that comes from the Lego Batman movie. Oh, good gosh. job, Ryan. Good yes. job. Will Arnett voiced Batman in, in this wonderful <laughs> adaptation. I love I love the Lego Batman movie. And my, my favorite scene when I was like, oh, yeah, I'm really going to like this is what I, I dubbed Home Alone Batman. And it's after he gets <laughs> done fighting some crime. And there's like a news reporter that leads in saying, uh, oh, and Batman's going home. He's probably going to have a party and, you know, so on and so forth. And he actually comes home to an empty bat cave and giant mansion. And he's talking to an Alexa-like uh, computer asking if he got any mail. And then they mentioned that he got a Bed Bath & Beyond uh, coupon that expires in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> He then goes on to microwave a lobster dinner that Alfred prepared for him. And, <laughs> and they stick with it. I mean, the, the, literally uh, not quite 15 seconds, but the, he, he, you, we, we do get five seconds of Batman watching the lobster in the microwave for a solid five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> and then, of course, he goes into his screening room and he turns on Jerry Maguire <laughs> and Batman is watching the, the famous scene of you had me at hello, uh, Jerry Maguire. That entire sequence is absolutely hysterical, as is the movie. Lego Batman movie is is great. So if you haven't seen it, do check it out. Wow. I, I love that pick, dude. I thought we were sticking to the live action or I probably would have tried to get some Lego Batman on my uh, on my list here. All right. Swinging it, swinging it around to my number four. The reason this one is not higher on my list is because of Christian Bale's choice of voice. I am never going to get over the stupid bat voice. I think he should have just maybe made his voice one octave lower or something and gone with it. He went too, too far. But that being said, the where are the drugs scene in Batman Begins is some badassery that I return to on YouTube all the time. He he hoists a villain up from the streets of Gotham on one of his uh, grappling hooks, and he has them dangling over the side of a building, and he's like, where are the drugs, you know? And this guy just starts to tell him some BS story, and Batman's, he says, I swear, man, and Batman's like, swear to me. It's just, it's just a cool moment, you know, like <laughs> I like when Batman intimidates people, you know, that's that's the whole like I use the bat as this fear, the symbol. That was a good moment. Batman begins quality film right there into our threes. What do we got? All right. I'm going to go. Uh, I don't think this is off it because it was, you know, scenes from a Batman movie, which I think was broad enough to include animation, but also a scene that doesn't have Batman in it. I love the scene in The Dark Knight where the Joker makes a pencil disappear in front of a room full of mobsters who he should oh, be afraid man. of. 
but he's not at all. In fact, uh, Heath Ledger's twitchy oddball Joker walks in and kind of owns it from the very get-go, and he starts off uh, and establishes just how ballsy he is by offering to perform a magic trick, and he says, I'm going to make this pencil disappear. And then in a matter of seconds, he drives it into the head of a thug via the ear hole. <laughs> it's funny and vicious and much like Ledger's legendary performance, and uh, I just thought that that was one of the greatest sort of snapshots of who this villain is and why he's so formidable. Good pick. And go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say, totally agree. On my list, I'll have to do an audible. Oh, no. Well, I I like that me and Jeff are lined up here because I go number three, Dark Knight also. And it's a scene that doesn't feature Batman as well. And it's the opening scene of the Dark Knight. And me and Matt actually have had Cinema Wars on this particular uh, topic. And it, it, it's it's a wonderful way to open the movie. And I think it sets the tone for The Dark Knight. And this is the bank heist where the Joker oh, and oh his yeah. Yeah. his uh, menaces, uh, his other clown faces go into the bank that uh, houses all the mob's money. And how is going that to not rip your it off. Num- how is that not your number one, dude? Come on. I got, I got better ones than this. You do? But, oh, yeah. But of course... One keeps killing the next one, and they 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 think it's eventually going to uh, um, the Joker's going to end up getting killed. But no, it's the Joker waiting for the bus to pull back, uh, who knocks over the last guy, and then he kills the bus driver. That entire sequence is great, and we knew it was going to be a gritty movie. Maybe not as gritty as what we just saw in the Batman, but up until that point, the Dark Knight was as gritty as we got. So that was my number three: the bank heist scene. Great choice. Yeah, good choice. Uh, swinging it to my number three. This is this is also where I had the, uh, you want to see a magic trick? Um, <laughs> another one I go back to on YouTube. But if I have to call an audible, I'm going to do one from The Dark Knight Rises. And it's the, the iconic scene of Bane breaking Batman's back. You know, because we're so used to Batman always winning every fight. I mean, after all, we just talked about him beating Superman. No problem. But Bane breaks the bat. Uh, it's a famous scene from the comics. It's it, it's an iconic moment in Batman's lore, and it was great to finally see that on the big screen. And I think Christopher Nolan did a great job portraying that iconic Batman moment. Very now, can we get nice Joker pick. with a crowbar beating a Robin to death, please? Oh, Ooh. man. Somebody make wow, that happen. Don't spoil anything for me. Never heard of that before. She's <laughs> really Ryan. You live under. Why would have I heard it? I've only. I've, we go over this all the time. I've never read a comic book, Batman ever. So I, if it hasn't happened in the movies, it hasn't happened in 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 my world. Jeff, what do we got it to? Well, I'm going to do a service for all of your listeners uh, because. I think we cannot continue to talk about Batman and and all of the the lore of him as a cinematic wonder if we don't talk a little bit about how impactful and incredible the Batman animated series was in the 90s. And they did a movie, again, sort of like the 66 TV series spawning a quickly done movie, Uh, the Batman animated series Uh, spurred a movie uh, for the big screen called Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Most people have probably not heard it uh, who've uh, come to Batman in the last 10 or 20 years, but it's a fantastic one. And there's a great scene where Bruce Wayne sort of embraces the Batman idea fully, and it ends up scaring Alfred. In this version, um, Bruce Wayne has been dating a woman named Andrea, who ends up coming back as sort of one of the the big foils in it. And she rejects his uh, proposal. 
And he angrily puts on the Batman mask, realizing that he's now going to do this because he doesn't have a chance at sort of a normal life of love and being a couple and living normally. Um, and as he does that, he's very angry and he puts on this mask and Alfred happens to walk in him. And when he sees Batman turn to him in the mask with his kind of rage, uh, it frightens Alfred. And it may be a cartoon, but it was a very dramatic and almost operatic kind of moment. And they did so much of that well throughout all the animated series that the first one spawned and including this movie uh, directly taken from the animated series, which was really well done. So if you any if any Batman fans out there are not familiar with the animated series, check it out and do check out this movie that the series yielded called Mask of the Phantasm. Phil, I know a lot of the movies are these animated ones are on HBO Max. Can you throw that in the fish tank to see if that particular one, uh, Mask of the Phantasm, is, is streaming on HBO Max? It might even still be on Netflix, as a matter of fact. Oh, or one of the services, yeah. if yeah. not yeah. HBO Max. Sure. My number two is my jaw-dropping moment from earlier. I think it's that strong that I wanted to put it on my list. It is from the Batman, and it is the Batmobile chase that we've talked about in this particular film. I, I I just absolutely adored this. And I know me and Matt, when we, we, we shot our, our YouTube video, we talked about this and I, I mentioned that it was very similar to Matrix Reloaded as far as a highway chase scene. And Matt had mentioned that the CGI was maybe getting a little old in the Matrix movie. And, and, he's, and you're right on because I mean, this one just looks so real and so in camera, and I obviously know there's there's magic tricks going on here, movie magic, but man, did this look good and and look real and yeah, not it did. And not at all. I it was like just a, so fast and so natural. Nothing looked fake after just commenting about the the wonderful action scene in Uncharted, in which Tom Holland clearly looks so fake jumping on luggage, falling out of a plane. I'm talking the exact opposite of the extreme of something that looks so real that the Batmobile was going opposite direction of traffic chase scene. It was an incredible adrenaline rush watching that. And it's my number two heart heart pounding. Absolutely, man. Good pick. Very good. My number two is from the 1989 Batman film. It's it's an oddball pick, but this is one that I really loved because it's a Bruce Wayne beat. We haven't talked about Bruce Wayne yet. It is when Bruce Wayne meets the Joker. He comes into Vicki Vale's apartment um, for some reason. I can't remember to, to interrogate or intimidate um, Vicki Vale or kidnap her or something. And Bruce Wayne is there wooing her and he stands up to the Joker as Bruce Wayne. He's like, come on, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. And he's he's <laughs> he's kind of provoking the Joker. And so the Joker, that's when he says his line, do you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? Which throws him off because obviously that's a that's a plot beat that, that comes back up later. And then he shoots Bruce Wayne. We find out that he was saved by the silver tray that he had stuffed in his shirt because he's Batman. <laughs> Great scene. Great scene, man. I love it. Nice. That's my number two. Well, here it is. Our number ones, our favorite Batman scenes. Jeff, you're kicking it off. What do you got? Well, you're going to be sort of surprised at this, but I think not surprised at all. But I also think there is a great pathos to the Batman and, uh, you know, that sense of romanticism and loss and all those kind of things. And I don't know if they've ever done it better than in Batman Returns, the 1992 uh, sequel to Batman uh, with 
uh, Catwoman and Penguin as dual villains in this. It's a very well done film. I think very underrated. It was so dark that Warner Brothers went running to the Joel Schumacher lighter fare. But um, the, it's the scene where Batman at the end shares his identity with Selina Kyle. Uh, they've just had a big battle with villainous tycoon Max Shrek down underground in the Penguin's lair. And Batman realizes that Selena as Catwoman is going to kill her former boss and he resorts to something wholly dramatic to stop her. He removes his mask, allowing her to see him as Bruce Wayne. Now, we kind of gather that she probably already knows that, but this is him telling her, I'm Bruce Wayne, you don't have to go this way. I'm the guy you're dating. Yes, we both wear masks and that, but you can't kill him because it's wrong. And it's this heartbreaking moment because despite that wonderful romantic gesture, Selena Kyle rejects his offer of love and ends up electrocuting Shrek and herself to death. Of course, she goes on to live because cats have more than one life. But <laughs> I just thought that was one of those sort of rip your heart out moments. And again, you know, really sort of in a way, since Batman lost or Bruce Wayne, since he lost his parents, this was one of the greatest losses of it. And he didn't win. He didn't prevail there. In fact, he lost so dramatically even after you know, this incredible revelation that he was willing to do to remove the cowl on his own. An interesting fact that I learned today while I was doing the research about that scene and its aftermath. In the original script and the way that they shot it originally, Selena Kyle dies. Of course, like the movie that hit the theaters, you see Catwoman from behind pop up right at the very end. Right, the last second of the movie. The last second of the movie. That was shot two weeks before the movie went into theaters. Apparently, with test audiences, the character of Catwoman was so popular, they wanted to keep the studio, wanted to keep her alive to potentially use in sequels. Wow. So they did that at the last second. That is not Michelle Pfeiffer in the cat suit. Interesting. Interesting. Um, my number one, and I, I watched the scene with, with a big smile on my face um, just a, about an hour ago. I, I love this, and it goes back to the Dark Knight. I really think this is, this is the, the zenith of Batman moments, and it is the flipping of the truck slash chase scene with the Joker. Yes, through Gotham, but us Chicagoans can say the, the streets of Chicago. It starts on Lower Wacker. Um, the scene where basically Harvey Dent has been captured and they're, they're trying to get the Joker to come after Harvey Dent at this point. So he's in, in one truck and the Joker and his henchmen come alongside them in, in another truck and start shooting even <laughs> rockets uh, along the, the brigade that has got Harvey Dent. And eventually Batman comes out in the Batmobile he eventually gets down to what they call the bat pod, which is the uh, the motorcycle um, that breaks out of the, the car. We also get the Joker driving the truck and coming right at the Batman on his motorcycle. And the Batman swerves around, uses his cables to trip up the wires. And a full semi was flipped on the streets of Chicago. It's a wonderful looking shot. But not only that, it's the way Heath Ledger sells it when he gets out of the truck he's sort of like a little a little you know nicked up from the accident but he's still laughing like the joker and the gun more or less sort of misfires as he's trying to like stand up the, the guns firing everywhere in, in just the chaos that the joker has and eventually the batman comes right at the joker and he's shooting and the motorcycle goes right after him that entire sequence i think is the best 
Batman we've seen to date. Tough to argue with, man. I mean, that is an amazing sequence. It's just it is. fantastic. And as a Chicagoan, it's extra special for us, I think. Yeah, um, no doubt. All right, that leaves it with my number one. And Ryan, you are wrong. You didn't have anything better. Uh, those are fi fine picks. I'm not calling an audible. <laughs> Here's the thing. The Dark Knight is not only the best Batman film, even, even to date after The Batman, uh, it is not only the best superhero film, it's one of the best movies, period, that I've, I've ever seen. It is a near flawless film, and probably the biggest flaw of the whole movie is, unfortunately, Christian Bale as Batman. But if it, it, that opening sequence, I know for a fact, is actually taught in film schools as, as how to shoot a perfect opening scene. It is a masterpiece. If that was just its own short film, that could have won the Oscar. I mean, it is that tight and amazing of an opening sequence. The way they introduce the Joker right up to the bus scene, where the bus stop where he's just holding the mask kind of behind him and you never see his hair, you never see his face, you never know for sure that's the Joker, but yet you know that's the Joker. The whole thing in the bank, the heist, how he kills each henchman, the bus escape, it's... It's probably the best written scene in any Batman movie and, and one of the best in movies of all time, period. That's, that's the number one. You're, you're dead wrong, Ry the Movie Guy. Well, I hit it number three. A couple of honorable mentions. How about the date scene with Vicki Vale at Wayne Mansion when they sit on the long table? Remember? And she's like, can you pass me some salt? And then we, he has to actually get up and walk it over to her because they're on this ridiculously long table. Uh, the the plane scene, I think Christopher Nolan was trying to capture that like one great scene of an opening again, like he did with the Dark Knight. So it, it, if you're comparing those two, it doesn't quite compare. But it's a thrilling scene, the opening of the Dark Knight Rises with Bane on the plane, and um, they basically cut the plane in half. It's <laughs> Why are there wild. so many Banes on this plane? That would have been a good we're, we're talk about movie this. right there. We're going to talk about this when we do our cinema war, but uh, it has to be mentioned. Michelle Pfeiffer actually turning into Catwoman. Um, maybe not the best, but quite an iconic scene for sure. Quite an iconic scene. I got here's here's a good honorable mention. Um, when uh, the Joker reveals his artwork to Vicki Vale uh, right before Batman crashes in and he says the iconic line, where does he get those wonderful toys? When he shows his girlfriend's face and what he's done, you really get a taste of how sadistic and, and evil the Joker truly is, just how twisted he's become, that he, he views this scar that he's given this beautiful woman as a, as a work of art. And uh, it's, it's horrifying. I remember being scared as a kid in 1989 seeing that scene. Um, we, we have to mention one scene from the Schumacher films. It, do we? we? have to, right? No, I don't to, think right? we do. No. <laughs> Why? Here's my only honorable mention from the Schumacher films. It's, I, I guess this is Batman Forever. Is that the one with the Riddler and Two-Face? Batman yes. Forever, right? Yep. Um, that one's not and the that worst. And that would be when they're at that big party that uh, Jim Carrey's character is, I think he's the one throwing it. Two-Face comes in, then Batman comes in, and Jim Carrey's line is... Uh, okay, your entrance was good, but his was better. <laughs> and there's a big fight scene. It was fun. That's the only one I would mention out of the Schumachers. Okay, I'll give it to you. <laughs> Jawheads, if we missed your favorite Batman scene, and you have Twitter pulled up, 
shoot us a tweet. We're at CinemaJaw or email us feedback at CinemaJaw.com. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, a cinema war looking at the best Catwoman plus Matt takes on Jeff in Batman villain movie trivia. Stick with us. Sandra Bullock had had several turns at bat with dramatic performances, but it wasn't until we saw her in the blind side that we would see her take home the golden trophy. Enjoy this scene from the blind side where she steps in the coach's shoes to give a little advice. Baby, wash my stuff, all right? Okay. Well, at least it looked good coming off the bus. They'll be terrified till they realize he's a marshmallow. <laughs> Looks like Tarzan plays like Jane. Give me a minute, Bert. We're in the middle of practice, Leanne. You can thank me later. Come. Michael, do you remember when we first met and we went to that horrible part of town to buy you those dreadful clothes? And I was a little bit scared and you told me not to worry about it because you had my back. Do you remember that? Yes, ma'am. And if anyone tried to get to me, you would have stopped them, right? And when you and SJ were in that car wreck, what did you do to the airbag? Stopped it. You stopped it. You stopped it. This team is your family, Michael. You have to protect them from those guys, okay? Listen. Okay. Tony here's your quarterback, all right? You protect his blind side. When you look at him, you think of me how you have my back, how you have his, okay? All right, Tony, go back. All right. Oompa Loompa here is your tailback. When you look at him, you think of SJ and how you've never let anyone or anything hurt him. You understand me? All right, go back. Got it? What about Collins and Mr. Tui? Fine, they can be on the team too. Are you gonna protect the family, Michael? Yes, ma'am. Good boy, then go have some fun. The jaw doesn't stop with the podcast. If you want to continue on listening to us talk about movies and give reviews, you can turn to YouTube. That's right, Ryan. You sure can. We have animations, reviews, and oftentimes you will get our thoughts even quicker on YouTube because we're getting right out of the theater recording stuff and getting it up as quickly as possible. Join us there. We think it's a lot of fun. And we are back on Cinema Jaw, hanging out with Jeff York. He makes caricatures, so in case you want to buy those, obviously, uh, you got a chance to uh, talk to Jeff, maybe get a print of his. And he does movie reviews. Best place to send them online to read your reviews, Jeff, is? Theestablishingshot.org. Do it, Jawheads. Do it. Absolutely. Matt, before we get to trivia and before we get to the cinema, we threw a few items into the fish tank. And I know Phil, big Batman fan, wants to swim up to the top. Let's open up that fish tank. Wait a moment. It's fish, isn't it? DC, wake up, wake up. No, Pat, it's a giant glass bowl. Hey, get some fish, folks. Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's a certain message. That means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. You're going to need a bigger boat. Thank you. Thank you so much. I wouldn't say 
Honestly, and I hate to keep bringing back this same bit, but they say there's a rule of three. I, I, I probably am a bigger fan of Sandra Bullock than Batman. Not no disrespect what? to, oh, to man. Batman, no, but Phil, bite no. your tongue. I think as Batman's ma- cool, but it's just not say, like bite your tongue. I, I I love Sandy. I don't know what to tell you guys. Uh, <laughs> we do more than we, Batman, Phil. More than Batman. You're Maybe it's because all heart. I have in this fish tank is is Batman this week. No one threw any <laughs> Sandy in here, and so it's just like it's. I'm Ryan with the MCU. I've just I've had enough Batman. Uh, our our first question: Who has more movies between Batman and Spider Man? So this is such a difficult. We, question you know, we, to answer we should have we should have specified not animated we should have yeah, just live said action. live action that's so, what we were really thinking but. and that's what i pulled up okay, but batman yeah. has 13 live action movies and i would still make a case that that even counting like what we're talking about that spider-man has eight or nine depending on where you fall strictly because of spider-verse which I there's would more, argue counts. There's but, more Spider-Man movies than and that. the Avenger films, of course. Right. Civil War. Well, those aren't Spider-Man movies. Well, but he's in them. I mean, technically, mm. you could say Batman. Is well, but then we Justice would have to League. count. Yeah, that as well. You should count which like I, the I, Snyder to be frank, cut. I didn't factor in. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Any like ensemble? Because to me, to me, okay, and I'm I'm the researcher, so maybe I'm a little partial here. But I I was basing it strictly on like this is their movie. I, okay. That's what like, I I'm not going to call the Avengers also. a Thor movie, right? Exactly. He's right on. I'm I'm, I'm right with you, Phil. So even so on what do we even got on Spider Verse. Okay, but what about Batman versus eight Superman? Or nine. I mean, no, his Batman name is in the title. Superman, I I think is, is is a Batman movie. But if Phil didn't put that in there, I wouldn't hold it against him. I right, so who won, Phil? Who won? Batman with the 13. Okay. There we go. And Spider-Man having eight or nine, depending on your Spider-Verse preference. Then the next one, oh, you love to see it, especially after the dud we had last week. Mask of the Phantasm is streaming on HBO Max. You got to love those Warner Brothers, and you got to love how giving they are with all of the properties they own. May I'm as the, well I'm throw, the, you own it, throw it up. I, I, you know, after watching the the Batman, I, I thought to myself, I gotta watch these animated movies. I know they're good, so I'm I'm gonna watch Hush, and I'm gonna watch this one for sure this weekend. Watch Mask uh, from of the Under Phantasm. the Red Hood is also I'm gonna awesome, watch dude. Yeah, okay. Under the Red Hood is also awesome as well. But dude, first of all, read Hush first, and then read Killing Joke before you re- read Under the Red Hood. Okay? Yeah, yeah, Matt, I'll I'll read these comics. You bet. You suck. You, you watch. What he's really, what he's really going to do is get together with Phil, and they're going to watch uh, the proposal with Sandy and Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> uh, nothing would make me happier. Walking into oh, each man. other naked out of the shower. We'll have a miscongeniality <laughs> night. It'll be terrific. Oh, hey, Mike, Michael Caine is in miscongeniality and a couple of the Batman movies. Oh, a couple man. of Spider-Man movies as well. See how it all connects, man. It's all connected. Is he in a Jaws Spider-Man 4. movie? I don't think he is. What are Jaws you talking about, dude? 4. Are you kidding? He was the vulture. Michael no, Kane. No, no, Kane. Oh, Michael, Michael Kane. I thought so. You're, you're I thought you said Michael. Keaton. I thought you said no. Keaton. My oh, bad. no. Sorry, uh, Michael Kane. No. All right. Was that everything, Phil? That's all we got in here. All right, Matt. It brings us to a segment called Cinema War. And the Cinema War, it works like this. Me and Matt, we're fighting on the topic. Our guest, our jury this week is Jeff York. He has to listen to this argument and determine who wins 
And it's always tough, Matt, because we're button heads here. But what are we talking about here? We're talking Catwoman. Phil, what are we talking? You better believe we're talking Catwoman, Rye the Movie Guy. We all know cats have nine lives and four legs, but this week on Cinema Jaw, Matt and Ryan each only have one leg to stand on. Matt's saying that Michelle Pfeiffer, the best Catwoman ever. Well, Ryan's in the camp that the newest recruit, Zoe Kravitz, is the best Catwoman ever. Let's get this cat out of the bag as this cinema war begins. I have to say, I like all the women who have portrayed Catwoman. But when comparing Zoe Kravitz to Michelle Pfeiffer, you have to give the nod to Kravitz. For starters, she is way more integral to the plot of the movie and given much more to do than Michelle Pfeiffer was. Ryan, Michelle Pfeiffer is the perfect Catwoman. She took all the campiness of the 60s incarnations and gave it a femme fatale spin, amped up the sexuality and the insanity, and most importantly, the lethality. This cat had claws and was ready for a hunt and kill. Zoe Kravitz is more like Kitten Woman. Ah, The relationship between Catwoman and Batman is always fun to explore, but they never got the right balance of danger and sexiness until Kravitz took on the role in the Mm. Batman. She's tough, she's sexy, and holds her own perfectly alongside the Cape Crusader. I, I don't know about that. All right, let's talk costumes. Zoe Kravitz's take on the classic Jim Lee jumpsuit, it was nice and all, but that stitched together latex spoke to the S&M dominatrix whip-wielding side of the character, and that whole white stitching thing represented her fractured psyche. She was barely holding it together on the inside and on the outside. In other words, Michelle Pfeiffer's costume actually meant something. Well, speaking of Michelle Pfeiffer's, uh, I've always have been a fan of Batman Returns, and I like that scene when Michelle Pfeiffer becomes Catwoman, but it also works against her because it's too goofy and corny to be taken seriously. The first time we meet Kravitz's Catwoman, she has full confidence and swagger already. Advantage, Zoe. Mm. Kravitz has a bright career ahead of her, no doubt, but Pfeiffer was already on a massive role. Prior to working with Tim Burton on Batman Returns, she had worked with De Palma, John Landis, Richard Donner, Alan Alda, George Miller, and Jonathan Demme in a row. Toss in Gary Marshall on that list, and it adds up to some of the best directors who have ever lived. Who's Kravitz worked with? Well, I'll tell you this about Kravitz, because I think the thing that impressed me most about her in the Batman was the action and fight scenes. I knew she could pull off the sleek, sexy appeal of the character, but I truly bought into her being able to take down multiple henchmen at once and going toe to toe with Batman on a rooftop. Near the end of the movie, we get a shot of Batman and Catwoman driving motorcycles together, and they looked perfect. The bat and the cat not only sounds good, it looks good together as well. Michelle Pfeiffer's performance was far more iconic. There was none of this, is she? Oh, she kind of has ears from those goggles or that hat. No, she put it right on Front Street. I am Catwoman. Hear me roar. It's time to clean out your litter box, Ryan, because your argument is a turd. Boo. We are buttonheads here, as we do each and every week on Cinema Jaw. We throw it to our guest, our jury, Jeff York. What did you think of this cinema war? 
I think the two of you could have been writing for the 66 Batman series. I'd love to hear you unleash the egghead puns. That <laughs> <laughs> was truly excellent. Uh, and the extra something for the Cape Crusaders. Anyway, uh, now here's my sunny side up. Anyway, thank you, Vincent Price. Uh, I like both of the arguments. I like both cat women. I like all of the cat women except for Halle Berry's. Uh, and she might have been a good one if she had a halfway decent script. But I'm going to go with Michelle Pfeiffer just because I think oh, she, reinvent- yeah. she reinvented it. Uh, which was a, a you know big sort of boots to fill, especially after Julie Newmar's rather iconic role uh, as 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 Catwoman, um, and yeah, we've also had twenty plus years to realize it, as as Matt pointed out, it has become an iconic look, an iconic performance. It's a great, I think, underappreciated movie in some respects that is only gathering more steam as the years go on. I love Zoe Kravitz. Kravitz, I think she's a capable actress and very good in the role. It's probably too soon to give her the top position anyway, but in a head-to-head, I go with Michelle. Wow. Matt, that earns you 20 seconds of jaw time to rant and rave. I won't give anything uh my rant afterwards i promise matt so you can have this full 20 seconds oh gee thanks ryan thank you for that um (laughs) i i want to take this opportunity to to note how impressed i am with phil's writing he came up with that intro on the spot at least two or three puns in there well done (laughs) phil that i mean i agree and 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 i just also after that compliment want to say you need to read Batman, dude. You need to get a little bit more Batman in your life. It, it made me so sad when you said you like Sandra Bullock more than Batman. I feel like I'm being shamed for liking the, well, I paid the, you a the person of the month. You're correct, though. I am incredible. Uh, so thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. What a way to celebrate Sandy. We're, we're, we're crapping on <laughs> no, Phil because he actually likes Sandy. Yeah, I feel like I am the I am Sandra Bullock's proxy. Since we have to be nice to her, we're just punching on me for liking her. I love Sandra Bullock. She's fantastic. Oh, yeah. But would I ever say I love I like her more than Batman? No. <laughs> it seems when it comes to Batman, Phil has, dare I say, a blind side. I mean... <laughs> Oh, boy, well done, we're, Phil. we're on a roll. <laughs> well done, Jeff, I should say. That was awesome. All right. Whew. Having fun here on Cinema Jaw. Let's continue it with some movie trivia. Last week, we did uh, The Men Who Have Played Batman. This week, we're doing The Villains Who Have Went Up Against Batman. Jeff, you're our guest. You get to choose if you want to go first. Let Matt go first. There are steals, and if you get hung up on any questions, you get one Rescue Me Ryan. I will be a officer and a gentleman and let matt go first thank you sir all right question number one over to matt k matt heath ledger won supporting actor oscar for playing the joker he was nominated for one other oscar in his career what film was that for it must be brokeback mountain that is correct matt's on the board one to nothing question two over to jeff jeff Name the actress who played Poison Ivy in Batman and Robin. Uma Thurman. That is correct. The easy ones are done, even (laughs) though we'll see how they go from here. Question three, Matt. In 1997, Arnold Schwarzenegger played Mr. Freeze. One year earlier, he starred with Sinbad in this comedy. Jingle all the way. That is correct. Come on, man. Two to one, Matt K. Question four over to Jeff. 
Paul Dano, who played the Riddler in the Batman, played the same character as John Cusack in this wonderful 2014 biopic, Name It. Oh, gosh. He played uh, one of the Beach Boys, Brian Wilson, but it was, but the name of it was, gosh, I'm going to, I'm going to miss this. I forget what the name of the movie was, but he was very good in it. Um, John Cusack, oh, good, Paul sorry. Dano, same character. You were on, you were on the right roll there. I what know, I know. I'm blanking on the name of it. Uh, it's probably a Beach Boys song title, I would bet. Um, I forget. I'm sorry. That is incorrect, Matt. You got a chance for a steal here. And to blow this one wide open, it's two to one currently. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm little. I'm trying to dig for this one in my brain too. Summer something. Um, it's not summer loving. That's Greece. Um, endless summer. Ooh, that is incorrect. We're looking for love and mercy. Oh, love and yeah. mercy. It's not a great title. No, great movie sorry. though. I really enjoyed. Great it. movie. Then they yeah. were both terrific in it. They were. Score remains two to one, Matt K. Question five is over to him. Matt, Marianne Cotillard from Dark Knight Rises has made one movie with Johnny Depp. It came out in 2009. Name the film. See, they get, they get a little bit harder here. Okay, all right. You fair know? enough, fair enough. Um, and so Johnny Depp in 2009 was either making another Pirates of the Caribbean movie or something with Tim Burton. Was it Dark Shadows? <gasps> that is incorrect. <laughs> Jeff, you could tie it up here. Marianne Cotillard and Johnny Depp made one movie together. What was it? Public Enemies. That is correct. <laughs> Ties it up two to two. The momentum has shifted because question six is back over to Jeff. He can take the lead on this one. Jeff, name the actor who played a Batman villain and also starred in the movies The Rainmaker, L.A. Confidential, and Big Fish. That would be Danny DeVito. That is correct. Jeff takes the lead here, three to two. Matt, you need this question to tie. You can cut, cut the tension with a knife. I'm trying here. to think of who Danny DeVito was in Big Fish. Anyway, doesn't matter. What's the question, Brian? <laughs> he was a very small fish. <laughs> Matt, here we go. This villain actor had a three-movie run in which he appeared in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Warrior, and This Means War. Tom Hardy. That is correct. Three to three. It is all tied. Last question of the game. Over to the Jeff. He can win it on a walk-off. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> Jeff. Jack Nicholson has won three Academy Awards. What film did he win his first Oscar for? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Best that actor is, in 1975. That is correct. Wow. Well done, Jeff. That is correct. He had been nominated four times prior to that, but it really? wasn't until One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest until he won his first Oscar. Do you want me to tell uh, you what those were? Yeah. Starting with uh, supporting actor for Easy Rider. Uh, then he was also nominated for uh, The Last Detail and Chinatown. And Chinatown was before 
Cuckoo's Nest? Yep, it's right before it, 74. Oh, wow. uh, his first one was for Easy Rider. Second one was for Five Easy Pieces, then uh, Chinatown, um, and then, or The Last and then, Detail, and then uh, Chinatown, and then he won finally with his fifth nomination for One Flew Over, one flew over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Well done, Jeff. Who knew he knew his Jack Nicholson nomination so well? Here we go. Uh, can I get a virtual handshake yeah, here? There you go. Virtual fist bump. Bang. If it came down to a tie, this question would have been over to Jeff. Which Joel Schumacher Batman is worse, Batman and Robin or Batman and Forever? For my money, it was uh, Batman and Robin because of all those insufferable frozen puns that Akiva Goldman <laughs> wrote for Arnold Schwarzenegger, starting with, the ice man cometh. <laughs> That's a pretty good Schwarzenegger. It doesn't get, it doesn't get worse than that. Um, the real the real jawbreaker was this. Age of Two-Face, the first Two-Face, Tommy Lee Jones. How old is Tommy Lee Jones? You got a guess, Matt? Jesus Christ. Tommy, he's one of those guys that I'm, I'm sure he's, he's got like a, a portrait of himself as a young man somewhere in some attic. Um, what do you mean? It's probably it's probably above his fireplace in his house. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Actually, he looks the same age, I'm sure, in his high school yearbook photo. Right, right. He was he's born always been exactly, Yeah, he's always been the exact same age as he is right now. <laughs> yeah. His painting is is him looking at the artist painting him and he's pissed off. Like, why am I sitting here getting painted? Um, Matt, it was old? a Dorian Gray reference, by the way, Ryan. Nice. Nicely done. Um, let's see. How old is he? God damn. He's got to be in his mid maybe early 70s i'll say he's 72 years old lock him in at 72 jeff you got a guess i will say he is 78 what do we do here he's 75 guys he's 75 right in between wow let's just call it a tie on that one yeah well it doesn't matter because jeff won anyways so. yeah exactly yeah good stuff jeff's the winner jeff's the winner good times it brings us to the end of a great job this was fun talking batman let me tell you hope everybody enjoyed our batman discussion everyone First but phil yeah how about <laughs> and sandra bullock she's out there like well at least phil likes me we love you sandy absolutely first and foremost we got to thank jeff york for coming back on cinema jaw thanks again jeff thank you so much i love it and call me anytime we also got to thank our editor, our engineer, and our in-house Sandra Bullock fan, Phil. Thank you, guys. I was going to say that there's nowhere else I'd rather be on a Thursday night, but the more I think about it, it's probably watching 28 Days. <laughs> hey, anytime you want to rewatch Demolition Man, dude, I'm right there with you. <laughs> Matt, we also got to thank the sponsors. We should, Ryan. Thank you to Overcast and to the Chicago Podcast Co-op, who help us get great sponsors like them. We also want to give a very special thank you to all of our Patreons uh, for supporting us. means the world to us. If you want to join us there. Yeah, go to patreon.com backslash cinemajaw. And sincerely, from the bottom of our hearts, we do thank you very much. we got some cool stuff coming, by the way. The other way you can support us is by leaving us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next week, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. I'm Matt Kay. And, and keep, keep on John about, about the movies. movies.